fasting comes and goes directly against the world, the appetites of the flesh, the humility that fasting brings. You know, what did, what did, what did our Lord say in the desert? Man does not live by bread alone, and bread could be also all the attachments and the gadgets and the everything. All you need is God. So here is something that goes completely against the world. So I think to the extent that, the, that we continue to uh, let the world influence us, we forget the things of God. We're almost afraid of the things of God, the promises of God. What are the physical and spiritual benefits of fasting? Can we turn a challenging practice into a natural habit and ultimately come to view it as a gift? In this episode, Pro-life activist, speaker and media personality Astrid Bennett Gutierrez reflects on the transformation that can be experienced through fasting and how God can use it to heal us in unexpected ways. We're supposed to be warriors. We're supposed to be serving God. And so uh, our bodies are part of that service. We're supposed to be strong. So I think that, you know, having good habits, common sense habits, and then fasting in particular, it's just hard to exaggerate how much it will improve your life and your health in particular in your spiritual life. To fulfill our mission and serve God, we need strength of mind, body, and soul. Jesus invites us to choose fasting as an act of love towards ourselves, our world, and Him. This is Living the Call. Hey, my friends, before we get started on this amazing episode and hear from our guest, I did want to take a moment to tell you a bit about our sponsor, Call the Catholic Association of Latino Leaders. Those of you who stick around to the end of these episodes will notice a little outro that we put at the end of all of them that talks a little bit about Call. The Call is the organization behind this show. It's an organization that is really amazing, a professional and spiritual network for Hispanic young adults as well as C-suite level Catholic professionals. I've been involved with Call for a number of years and can't speak more highly about the work that they do. Why is that? Well, Call was started about 15 years ago, and on the basic premise that if we want to help the church grow in the United States, we have to pay special attention to the Latino population that is in the United States. Why? Because it's growing by leaps and bounds. And within the context of Christianity, it's even greater numbers. Right now in the church, and I'm speaking of the church at large, the Catholic church, about 42% of all Catholics in the U.S. are Latino. And if you go to young people, about 65% of young Catholics are Latino. And then the church more broadly, if you include our Protestant and Orthodox brothers and sisters, that number is still about 22, 23%. So about a full quarter of the entire Christian church in the United States is comprised of Latinos. And that's the demographic that's growing. So paying special attention to them is a really good thing. And so that's what Call actually does. They put on events throughout the year. There's tons of mentorship and networking opportunities. So if you're young, a young adult who happens to be Latino, or you have a, a special heart for the Latino culture, or you're a C-level, an operator, a CMO, a CEO, a CSO, a COO, all the different Cs, this is an organization that you want to be a part of. For both the, the the mentorship, the opportunity to um, have networking and stewardship opportunities and fellowship opportunities with other people who are who are like you, who are going through their journey, it's really a phenomenal, phenomenal organization. It's rooted in its love of Christ and of the church, and it helps to call to grow and foster Latino missionary disciples, and that is a very good thing. Why? Because that actually strengthens the fabric of our society. It helps us to create leaders for the church and, frankly, for the world. Things that happen in the U.S., as you well know, go out throughout the rest of the world. So if we get it right here, it's a good thing that we can export to the rest of the world. If you want to learn more about CALLED, very easy. Go to call-usa.org. 
That's call-usa.org. Or you can just call directly, 213-637-7400. That's 213-637-7400. And let them know that Deacon Charlie told you to give them a call. Enjoy the show. Astrid Bennett Gutierrez, great to have you on the show. <laughs> Welcome you, to the Deacon. show. Happy to be here. So this is, I was, I was explaining to you prior that this is like a first on a number of different levels. And let me explain. First of all, you're a returning guest to this show, although it was in a previous incarnation, right? So you're, you're the first person to come back since we've relaunched the show to Living the Call. It was initially something else and you, and you participated in that. So that's number one. Um, number two is we're actually theming this episode, right? So typically when we have these conversations, it's like wherever we go is fine. Mm -hmm. But in this case, we're starting off the conversation with a, a, a desire to want to dive into the subject of fasting. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you are a person who kicked off a lot of our understanding of fasting. So I thought no better person to call back mm -hmm. into this equation than you. And so that's the second thing. And then the third thing for, you know, fans of the show, we typically do a wait what uh, segment at the very end. We're not going to have that today because, again, you're a returning guest. And usually that game is sort of as a fun way to introduce new people to the show. So anyway, with those kind of housekeeping items out of the way, what a great uh, privilege to to have you come on and, and and talk on this incredible subject especially in Lent you know what I mean because it's yeah I'm so excited to to talk about this I mean I imagine that we would be we, we wouldn't have enough time to talk about what an incredible thing fasting is so many myths so many things that we discover along the way and it's just the, if I can say one thing about it Deacon it's that it's a gift from God. It is. A gift that you're constantly unpackaging um, and uh, to not be afraid when God tells you to do something, when he inspires something, and it's right there in the gospel. Don't be afraid. It's for your good. It's for your salvation. And of course, it's good for every aspect of your person. So that's what I've discovered in these uh, more than four years of, uh, of living the, the fasting in my spiritual life and in mm -hmm. my daily, my, yeah, my weekly life. It's yeah. good in like the fullest sense of the word good. It's like this 360 kind of goodness that happens when we figure out uh, fasting. For those people who don't or who may not recognize you right away, I mean, or in this context, rather, I mean, obviously you are and have been for years a pro-life leader, a Latina leader in within the context of the church. You're a broadcaster, you're a speaker, you're, you know, a person who's always out there doing that. But in this new context, of, and maybe I discovered it for the first time in November of, I think, last year, whenever it was that you were here, uh, you are also a faster. Is that what you call somebody who fasts? A faster? I don't even know. Like I don't a, even know. I, I just, I fast, and I've come to understand that it should be part of, of the Christian every, life. Of every Christian All life. the saints yeah. fasted. Mm -hmm. It's in our tradition. Uh, religious communities did it. During Lent, Lent, you know, the fast was a lot more rigorous than it was today, and people just did it. Yeah, it was. We didn't overthink it the way we do today. We didn't apologize for it, and it was just something salutary. It was mm. healthy. It was good for every aspect of our person. Uh, so I don't really call myself anything. I know it's a trend now. It's a big, big fad. I mean, naturally, right? It's so good for you. But uh, as they say, when the church puts something down, in a sense, the world picks it up and thinks that it's their idea. No. It's God's idea. He has invented it because he invent he made our bodies, and it, 
you have a physician inside of you mm. and that's fasting and that's the mechanisms of fasting. So I just think it's something that we need to rediscover. We need to unearth. We need to just um, just explore. Yeah. Don't be afraid of it. It's an incredible thing. And you're right that there is like all this great biblical and historical attestation to fasting. This is nothing new. Mm-hmm. It's been around for millennia and it's been utilized in a variety of ways and especially in a Christian context. It's actually part of the Christian life. But nevertheless, when you and I first talked about this, you you introduced a, a book to me, which was uh, Jay Richards' book, um, Eat Fast Feast. And I got it I, right here. Which I know you have a copy. Yes. I was like, oh, good. Show she and brought tell. a copy. <laughs> um, and Jay Richards, you know, author, New York Times bestseller, philosopher, actually, from a, from a background perspective. But in reading that book, and maybe because it's contemporary, and maybe because they reference a bunch of different things, including the health stuff, the faith stuff. It really kind of opened things up to me. And my wife was the first one to read the book and just go like, okay, I'm going to try this, right? And that was like almost two years ago now or a year and a half ago now. And it's dramatically kind of changed her life. But wh- like, wh- why that book? Did that book also, was that part of your experience in this? Or did you were you fasting even before you read the book? Or This book is new. It, it is I new. think it's only been around for a year or two. Yeah. It's very, very new. I had a hard time finding a good book on fasting. I've been fasting for over four years. And just briefly, I'll tell yeah, you how I started fasting is um, as things tend to happen, I was driving uh, to visit a, a, a relative in the hospital and I just happened to turn on old-fashioned Catholic radio, you know, and you know, always good stuff on Catholic radio. And I heard an interview with a priest by the name of Father Richard Heilman, mm. who's a diocese of, um, he's, in, he's in Wisconsin. Um, anyway, he's talking about a campaign of prayer that he's going to launch called Nineveh 90, and it's going to be 90 days of prayer for an end to abortion, which mm. is, I'm a pro-life activist. It's just, he had my attention uh, for our families, for our country, and for our own personal conversion. Mm. I said, I'm sold. What is this about? Well, it was a, a very a solid program of 90 days of, you know, going to mass every day, praying the rosary every day, doing an offering, doing mental prayer, talking to God at least 15 minutes a day and fasting twice a day. I said, he said, fast however you want, but here's how I'm going to fast. He said, I'm going to fast Wednesdays and Fridays, which are the traditionally penitential days of uh, fasting for the church or penitential days for the church. So he was going to fast 36 hours. So pretty much not eat anything the entire day go to sleep without having eaten anything until the next morning. So he fasted Wednesday and Friday. Um, and then I went to look him up on social media. I, I signed up for this Nineveh 90 and I did it. And I think one of the keys, because I was scared. And you did it Wednesday and Friday for the 90 day period. For the 90 day period. Okay. But I was concerned. I mean, I was willing because I wanted to, you know, uh, pray for these intentions. And I know that I, you hear it in the gospel, you know, how you know some demons are only expelled through it's prayer true. and fasting. It's, yeah. in, it's in Matthew. Um, so I wanted to do something because after a while you feel so, I mean, you want to do more. Mm. You have this calling to do more. Uh, but I had those preconceived notions about fasting, that it's just a special grace that only some people have. Or if I do it, I'm just going to feel so weak. I'm going to be in a bad mood. I have very a very stressful job, which is directing a pregnancy center in the middle of several abortion centers in L.A. Can I really do it? Um, but God just gave me the, the clarity that I wanted to be a part of this. But one thing that I did, which I think is really helpful and uh-huh. almost key, is I began to do this program, this prayer campaign, with three other 
friends, three other women. So like in community. In community, yeah. which was fantastic mm. because the four of us were going into it with a little bit. I would probably say I was the one with the, with the most apprehension about it. Um, but we did it with joy, with humor, with hope. Um, we had running jokes that we would, you know, like, did you almost floss today? Like, we didn't have to floss because we, we were fasting. <laughs> it was a running joke. So I just think it's that. It's a supporting each other, women that are like-minded. They had the same commitment to their faith, to the pro-life movement. That's what I think was so key. Um, I went through the 90 days. I felt vegan like I was another person. It's amazing. I was I, I had uh, James Baxter on the show as the CEO of Exodus 90 not too long ago. And he talked about, you know, a, a, among the keys to their success, for those who don't know, it's a platform for uh, male ascetism. And it includes, you know, fasting and vigorous physical activity and a variety of different things. But it's very much like cold showers. Cold showers, absolutely. <laughs> That's like the best part, which, yeah. by the way, is my Lenten daily observation awesome. now, one of them. But anyway, he talked about the, the power of these small groups, right? The power of like, in this case, in that case, bringing men together in groups and each one of them accompanying each other on this experience, which sounds like that was helpful in terms of your initial kind of fasting experience. But but break down for me that 90-day period. So mm -hmm. you had some initial fears and concerns and thoughts. It's going to be, I don't know, difficult or I'm not holy enough or, you know, I'm going to be in a bad mood or I'm not going to have enough energy. What of those things did you traverse and did it happen at any particular point? portion did none of it happen like kind of break down that 90-day period so i i'm the kind of person that i have to read about stuff okay i'm gonna embark on something i need to have the intellectual like preparation i had fasted in the past in my early 20s so i had some experience i had already some fascination i had read a little bit about uh, christian fasting one example that stood in my heart and i I just, I love this example. I read about it in a book, was about a family that practiced fasting. They're committed Christians. They know the power of fasting. And one scene in particular in a book that I read stayed with me. And it was um, how a family, you know, the mother in the family was fasting for a particular intention. intention. She says she cooked her family's dinner. She sat with her family. They all ate. She sat down with a glass of water. It was the most natural thing for her children to accept. Oh, mom's fasting. That's why she's not, she's not eating. So for me, there was sort of already a mental preparation that this is supposed to be natural. Mm. This is something that is a part of the Christian life. So and I we hear that. about that in scripture too, right? Yes. When you fast, don't look gloomy. And when you, know, you fast. And when not you if fast. you fast. That's when right. When you fast. So we're made for fasting. But I had to read about it. I had to see that it was something that was healthy. So I think more, most, the biggest thing for me was in those 90 days, the mental preparation, seeing others do it, having seen others practice fasting and not fainting. But I was scared that I would faint because, mm. um, you know, a lot of us are used to eating all day long, snacking, eating. I think that that's... Don't even realize how much we, we eat half the time. And what's in our food, the addictive nature of our food, because almost everything we, we eat, if it's processed, has some form of sugar, which is addictive. So um, I was a little concerned. But thanks be to God, Deacon, before I began those 90 days, I had already done at least a year of very healthy eating and exercising. Mm. So I think that's also key for like successful... Like a primer, got you ready. Primer. Yeah. Exactly. So I was already weaned off of a lot of junk food. Um, I had lost a significant amount of weight just be, just be following a, a natural uh, or healthy lifestyle. 
um, going to the gym. I already had a good disciplined life. So when I began to fast, I was already starting from that point. Mm. So I wasn't starting of a point of having terrible habits. I was already, um, I think I was already very um, healed in many ways, if yeah. you will. You had softened the earth a bit. Yes, yeah. and I was ready for this next step, and God knew that I was ready for this next step. So I think everything is not by accident. I think God prepared me, and now, you know, because we're we're supposed to be warriors. We're supposed to be serving God, and so uh, our bodies are part of that service. Mm. We're supposed to be strong. So I think that, you know, having good habits, common sense habits, and then fasting in particular, wow. Talk about adding something so powerful to the arsenal, but... Not only just adding, it's supposed to have already been there you yeah, know, to true. begin with. You it's know, it's true. like Jesse Dolmedo says, it's like when we don't fast and we're just praying, it's like we're just boxing with one glove. You know, we want to box with the two with gloves. gloves. Yeah. Well, and, and, and that's why, you know, again, the church's wisdom comes into play in all aspects of this. But one of them is like just the, the, the kind of pre-communion fast that we're all supposed to observe, which has now been reduced to like basically 60 minutes. But at one point was you know, a, a period of maybe not 24 hours, but a, maybe 12 hours or so, you know, from the night before. Right. And really even the term breakfast comes from the idea of breaking the fast. Exactly. And ideally breaking the fast at mass, where the first thing that you eat is the Eucharist. I mean, it's like there's so much significance around this and there's so much wisdom, but it lies hidden under the surface. And I wonder if as you're going through this experience, because I can tell your exuberance and your and your sense of energy around it, but was it a gradual discovery of the things that were being revealed by way of this fasting? Or did this kind of happen where you just woke up one day and you're like, I can't, like, do you see what I'm saying? Like, was it a, a, a sort of like a, um, an opening of the aperture that was gradual, like kind of lighting a room with a dimmer and like suddenly you have a lot more clarity and a lot more understanding of what's happening? Or did it happen in kind of milestones? Do you know, do you know what I'm saying? I see what you're yeah. saying. Um, I would say that I had an openness in mm. general. I, I mean, I started to exercise. I started to cut out a lot of junk food, I mean, that I was addicted to. So I think I already had that strength and discipline to take on this new challenge. But I think it was more than anything a grace, and I think a grace that anybody can get if they ask for it mm. um, to, to start fasting. I was surprised, Deacon, at how little the discomfort was. Because I was ready for the headaches, which you do get initially. Your body's used to getting the stimulation of the food. Um, so I was waiting for the headaches and the dizziness. I was fully like bracing myself for that. I was surprised at how little um, I got of that. I, I, I can't even re recall too much of it. Maybe mm. a couple of episodes of maybe a slight headache, uh, a little bit of a dizziness where I had to sit very little. Uh, um, and I did little things that because you don't have to go full hair shirt on it. I mean, I, I drank, I still do uh, drink black coffee. I put a little bit of salt under my pink Himalayan salt under my tongue sometimes. Yeah. When you're feeling like, kind of the gnawing feeling of hunger. Or like bone broth or something like that. Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah. Um, I definitely receive Holy Communion every day. So I do not say, well, I'm not going to receive because of the accidents. No, I receive Holy Communion Amen. every day. I'm not going to sacrifice anything. You know, I'm not going to sacrifice that for anything. So I receive every day. Um, but in terms of the accidents, the, there's such there's so, it's such a small a little right. bit that you know you're not going to break the fast if you will because there are benefits we'll talk about that later if you want the and, and, physical and, things and, and just that can so, happen just so i can clarify or help to clarify we got a lot of different folks who listen to this show and, yeah. and frankly a lot of non-catholics listen to this show but when astrid says accidents 
that's to contrast it with the term uh, substance, right? Which is the, the things that are incidental to a thing that are not the thing itself. So mm-hmm. obviously the Eucharist at the point of consecration becomes the real presence, is the real presence of Jesus. And But there is the accidents, which is the appearances of bread, which our body still recognizes in a way. Mm-hmm. And so that's what you mean by the accidents. But you don't let that stop you. Not at all. And it doesn't affect me. I, st- I still get all the physical benefits of, of fasting, which I think we should not apologize for. I think sometimes we, we want to, you know, of course, number one is the salvation of our soul and, you know, helping others um, as we're commanded in the gospel. But um, I don't think we should be apologetic about also desiring and being grateful for the physical benefits. I think that's our birthright. That's what God wants for you. That's a super, uh, I mean, for, for me, there's so many things about fasting. We'll dive into some of these. We probably won't get to all of them. But one of the things that was a bit of a realization for me early in my fasting, and we, I want to talk about the kinds of fasting because the world has definitely created some categories here, right? There's intermittent, there's time restricted and all these different things. <laughs> so we're going to break that down in a second. But one of the things which you just touched on there that came very clearly to me in the fasting experience because we are spirit and matter and that's not an accident right god created a species of just spiritual beings they're called angels and he created us with these things called bodies right so there is in some ways and this isn't new to this time of, of history it's happened historically kind of a way of putting down the body like it's not as important or whatever But there's this mystery to why we were made in the way that we are, why we're a unity of matter and spirit and all that. And we have to take that seriously. And so when it kind of hit for me was, and I don't know if this is right, I'm just letting you know, but my thought was, well, is fasting the way the body prays? Like, could fasting be the way the body prays in a way, the way that the body acknowledges? We know that all creation, right? That's what it says in scripture. All creation acknowledges the creator. Could it be that is the way that the body does? And the fact that we don't let the body pray very often Mm -hmm. is maybe a reason why when we do begin to let the body pray or fast, Mm -hmm. we realize some of these incredible things. I don't know, but it's like, it would seem to me really like God's style to have worked that into that creation to give that creation a chance to pray and fasting is the vehicle to do that. Absolutely. It's God's idea. And it's a natural way of being. We didn't always have food available. You know, hunters and gatherers had to wait to hunt something. There'd be days before you can hunt something. So God made us in a way that we were what is known as metabolically flexible. We can can take glucose or fat, stored fat. So that's stored fat. If you have a little stored fat, you can fast. God made you that way. You're not going to. And in fact, you and I are fasting right now. We say we, we share it not to boast, but to say, you know what? This is natural. Um, we're not starving right now, be vegan. No, not at all. You and I are eating the fat, the body, the body fat that we have. You know, that's our body is our brain is taking the ketones, the, those the the lipids. You know, the breakdown of the fats as fuel, and it's excellent fuel. And it's, it's God designed us that way. Um, I, I think I agree with you. Our body is praying. I find myself more able to be patient with others mm. isn't that ironic because i thought i was going to be really the short. opposite yeah you thought yeah, the like, opposite like in a bad mood like don't talk to me right now i don't feel good you know no i feel like this this inner peace and magnanimity like i, th- I can think of things that i want to do for others or i can th- i think of somebody like something is happening in my body it's almost like it's free mm. in a sense and if it's 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 
and I'm able to grow in virtue, be more aware of of those movements in in in, in my soul. So I think there's something to it. In fact, um, Saint Benedict, um, one of his monks uh, in the 80s, Saint uh, Benedictine monks, I should say, um, wrote a book which I recommend called "To Love Fasting." Oh, I love that. To love fasting is a is a saying of Saint of Saint Benedict. So why would he I say? I didn't know that. Yeah, love fasting. You're like that sounds like masochism. You know, like how could you love fasting? Because to live it is one thing. To talk about it and imagine it, what a drudgery. No, but to live it is another thing. So this monk, what they do, what they did, I don't know if they still do it. Some communities might still do it, but they would fast every day. Mm-hmm. It's talking about the different ways of fasting. They would fast every day, um, and they would just eat one meal. So typically, would that be like foregoing breakfast and lunch for mm-hmm. just the lay person? Yeah, no, tr- okay. exactly. Just have the one. the The most common way people do, it, and by the way, the world has a, a, a term for it now. It's a fad. It's a trend called OMAD, oh, one meal a day. But this is actually this, the Benedictine fast, and they they would take their meal around noontime. But this monk has name. His name is Adalbert de Vogay, mm. To love fasting, he likes to eat at the end of the day. Um, he's a he's a he was or is a hermit. Mm. So what he would do is he would keep the food that was given to him morning, like the breakfast and the and the noon meal, and then he would keep it all together for for the evening. He said he worked better not eating during the day. His mind was clear. I agree. <laughs> when you fast, your mind is really sharp, and that to do list is demolished. You have this incredible <laughs> focus. I it's love super it. True. It's I super love true. it. So he said he, he writes a lot. So he said, I have to write. So my mind is so clear. So he goes to mass and he just fasts the whole day. And then he breaks his fast um, in, the evening, in the evening around six, you yeah. know, and then he just relaxes. Mm. Uh, so this is how you can do fasting every day, which is one meal a day. Some people do fasting by limiting uh, their eating window is time restricted. Time fasting. Restric- yeah, so you could you could fast every day or most days. Um, like for example, the most common intermittent fasting that I've heard of is the, is the eighteen. I'm sorry, sixteen uh, eight, which is um, eating for eight hours. So like for example, you have a meal at ten a.m. and a meal at four p.m. No, a meal at six p.m. and that's eight hours. You within know, a window, within basically. a window, and then from and then from uh, from six p.m. to the next morning, ten ten a.m. You're fasting uh, 16 hours, so that's a pretty pretty good fast. You get some health benefits for sure, mm-hmm. um, and these are all things that modalities that you can use. For me, the the thing that I got led to and that still works for me and it's still a blessing for me is just not eating anything Wednesday, just coffee, water, a little bit of salt if I need it, um, water throughout the day definitely. Sometimes a little seltzer water is nice too, um, and then Friday. Uh, naturally also not eating the whole day for me it's simpler i don't like to be thinking about mm-hmm. food when or what i have a very busy life i'm a pro-life activist i get emergency calls all the time things to tend to so i i like the simplicity of just okay today i don't have to worry about cooking or where am i going to eat yeah it's true I, um i'm it's just simple. blocks off the whole calendar and, and i feel free yeah. instead of like dep- deprived i feel like cool today you know yeah. i'm gonna go to mass i'm gonna offer my fast through um my consecration to our blessed mother she'll purify my intentions you know um and and, and make it that much more powerful and i just go about my day um i want to share something because you know grace builds on nature saint thomas aquinas says of course um so this fasting is going to be improving your health and it's just in- 
hard to exaggerate how much it will improve your your life and your health in particular and your spiritual life. Um, but I received what I feel is a miracle healing mm. through fasting. I was going to ask you about the healing because you've used that yeah. word already once. <laughs> yes, and, and the healing comes in many ways, and I think I'm still experiencing it. But six months, cause, because I, after the 90 days, which like I mentioned to you, it just, you, you say, how, what was the process? I feel, Deacon, I feel like the first couple of weeks I was already you were you so, were in you were so I was in I very little discomfort but 6 months into it hmm. around 6 months this is back in 2018 I I began to feel different something was different and you use the word exuberance that's not a word that people would use to describe me growing up something shifted and what I realized was that I had experienced a, a healing a very real healing of a severe depression that mm. I had had since I was a child, mm. a depression that manifested itself in a lot of fatigue, a lot of sleeping, a lot of um, negative thinking, um, just imagining the worst of things. And it also, people who know me know that I uh, per- almost perpetually had a scowl on my face, not because I was upset at anybody. Your but resting face was yes, like, the yes. resting face was there. Yeah. And people would tell me, why aren't you smiling? Or Posing for a picture from you is torture because people, you're not smiling. I'm like, like this is as good as it gets. I'm trying. <laughs> you're, now you're describing you know? me, Astrid, so careful, <laughs> but go ahead. You know, um, I am a melancholic person, so that's not going to change. I'm a melancholic choleric. That's my personality. Um, and I always have that sensibility and I'm very sensitive. Uh, but in terms of the energy or the, mm. the, the, the naturally smiling, when I was coming out here driving, I, I, I noticed that I was smiling, imagining our conversation. I was yeah. smiling. And I just thought, what is, what happened? Because I, I mean, I'm almost 50 years old. I, I think my whole life, I. Which, I by the way, is crazy for the record. <laughs> yeah, this is not a video podcast, but you look like you're almost 30. So um, another benefit. Another benefit. It is God's fountain of youth. A whiteboard to put all the benefits up on the board. But, yes. But no, and, and that did you find that also part of that healing was because you just you described it as things that others could see in you, mm-hmm. your resting face, et cetera, your kind of mannerisms. But did you find that your interior dialogue has changed? In other words, like, you know, people who like depression is an example, right? And this is something that I've got at least some experience with. I tend to be also in that same ca- kind of camp in terms of, you know, choleric, sanguine and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But um, a lot of that is our kind of internal dialogue, right? The way that we, the, the, the thoughts and the ideas that we let kind of operate in our mind, right? And of course, the enemy uses those things to, you know, try to divide or, or create, you know, some kind of obstacle or whatever it may be. But, um, you, you know, I know that in particular moments throughout my career in particular, where there's been like really kind of darker moments and whatever, that my interior dialogue was significantly louder. I'm more thinking about my own stuff, the issues that could come up and, you know, and that in the moments where that, where I felt the healthiest from, you know, just in general, more, the most integrated, some part of that has been that that internal dialogue has become less loud, more muted, more, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, less active, I guess. Did, Did you find any of that? I mean, relative to this depression that you were talking about that you've had or had for a period of time, was any of that interiorly a dialogue that has changed because of fasting? It's very apparent. I think even the way I write, the way I express myself to others, um, even the feedback, because I think a lot of it is you get feedback from people saying, you know, thank you for encouraging me or, or my my presentations. Mm-hmm. When I present on the pro-life movement, I feel this need to to 
to talk about the good news, not just the bad. Like I want to uplift people, um, not just tell them all the negative things. Uh, I, I want to do both. Um, one curious thing that happened to me, Deacon, <laughs> is that, and I think it was a function of the depression and oh, the depression which led to difficulties in prayer. That's the biggest thing that mm. I want to share with you. But um, it, it, I find myself not wanting to do 10 million things because I feel like if I don't do this, God's not happy. Mm. I feel this it's almost like a, like a scrupulosity maybe? Or, yes, a yeah. little bit of that. I think a lot of us have that. Oh, yeah, you know? we do. Yep, the world sure. tells us you got to be an overachiever and always been that way since I was a child because, you know, you I, I don't know, it's just ideas that you have that you have to do. Um, and you just have, and God just wants you to be, mm. you know, and, and, uh, but he wants you to do his will. So that calmness and saying, okay, what is his will and to be okay and to be at peace, not feeling like I have to do a hundred things to please God. Like, no, what is the thing that he wants me to do and do well and do mm. peacefully and do with joy. Mm. And so I feel a lot more peace in my life in terms of that and being present to others. And, but my own mind, I feel more, more positivity, um, but that's one thing that I don't want the show to be over before I share that with you is that the depression in particular, which also has the attendant things like um, anxiety, anxiety, and fatigue, sure. um, really was lethargy, a, lethargy, mental and physical was impeding me from having a robust um, prayer life. And I read about the saints, especially Teresa of Avila, my favorite saint, Saint Teresa of Avila, how she would just dialogue with God and she would be with God and she was his he was her friend and I, I want that yeah I want of course that. and i and it was so hard for me to sit for five minutes before the blessed sacrament and not feeling tremendous amount of anxiety and of course that wasn't just physical and mental that was also spiritual of course it you is. know so yeah. here comes fasting something that was always there for me um and 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 i i, I start to live fasting and i realize my goodness like i can sit here it's not perfect. I'm not always focused as, as we're human. I mean, we're going to be distracted and all this, but I can sit here relatively effortlessly and pray. I mean, and I, I might have to bring my rosary with me or a book or the Bible, but I'm praying. The thing that I longed for for so long is finally here for me. And it's always been here for me um, in God's time. So I just want to give people hope that if there's something that you're fighting or an addiction or something, you know, prayer and fast but fasting in particular could be the key it's it, it just it's super critical man there's a bunch of stuff that you put out there um one thought that comes to mind just you, you mentioned saint Teresa of avila my kind of go-to aspiration is saint dominic who's who was regarded by his his uh, brothers his dominican brothers would say when he passed apparently is when they first said it but they said dominic was always talking to god or about god it was like everything he did to God or about God. And I was like, wow, that's like, talk about something to aspire to. But we fall, at least I do, very short of that, right? And yet we're looking for these ways to drive that clarity, to achieve that proximity to God in all the things that we do. And fasting, because so much of what prevents us from that is distraction, So much, especially in today's world. And fasting can be a kind of a distraction killer, right? It, it really does obliterate in a lot of ways those other things. And, you know, for me, it's been gradual. And I'm not at all perfect in this regard, but I can definitely see the difference that it's made in my life. And once we clear those, like, you know, bushes that clear those distractions, all those, like, vines that are hanging, in, you know, in front of our field of view, our spiritual field of view, we can approach 
you know, that proximity in in a much, you know, cleaner state and we can draw, you know, more more close to it. Also, in terms of the depression, and, and I don't know if this was your experience, but or how you discovered this, if it was just through the fasting experience, if you had any doubts before that you might have depression, but I remember hearing, and I forget exactly who the person was, but it was in a conversation that I had that somebody probably in their 40s ended up going to therapy for the first time. And after, I don't know, three or four sessions, the therapist, you know, looks at them and, and basically told them, is like, oh yeah, well, you have depression and you probably have been depressed since you were five. Mm-hmm. Like, this is not like your career stress or whatever, but something that occurred at a very early age which really created a frame of outlook that they then applied to every sort of aspect of their life. And it was so integrated that it was almost invisible. Like this person couldn't even see it, right? And again, I don't know if that diagnosis was the correct one, but it just it's something that came to mind as you were talking about this depression because it's something that our culture contends with now, it seems, all the time. It's really rampant. Um, I had, I think I, I can say that depression um, came into my life because I, I was a happy kid. I look at the photos of my, you know, when I was a child. I looked pretty, you know, I, I looked pretty normal. But I, my parents separated when I was eight. That was traumatic because my parents, I love them so much. They gave, my father, may he rest in peace. They didn't have a lot. My father grew up without his father. He grew up in the mean streets. Um, my mother uh, is an immigrant from Mexico. They tried so hard, Deacon, to give us a good life to spend time with us. They were loving parents. My father had worked two jobs and he would still read to us and share the the music that he loved with us. He spent all this time. They worked hard to send us to Catholic school. I mean, this is these are my parents. Sadly, you know, their lack of formation and different and unfortunately I think a lot of the influence of families, bad advice. Yeah. They separated when I was about eight. Uh, so I can say that was one of the points where I, I would say that I it really broke my heart, if you will, a, a really, really de- terrible thing to lose my father. My father uh, moved out of state. So that was a t- tremendous cross for a child to try to understand that. Um, it was really hard. And I would also point to my own personal sins, my own personal failure, um, not having very good formation, sadly, even in the Catholic schools, um, going to a very liberal university. I dabbled in all kinds of things, especially in, in the a- area of unchastity that I think also introduced demonic activity, if you will, I mean, serious sin into my life, that I think that we don't realize how much that is going to cause also a a depression. So uh, I went to therapists for many years. Um, I went to a neurologist, I had my brain examined, I was diagnosed with severe depression, I was uh, told to take three different medications. What age roughly was this? Oh, that was in my 20s. Late twenties, yeah. Um, you and were I, prescribed a bunch of. M- I was medication. prescribed medications. Mm-hmm. I got to say that I didn't take them. Uh, my family has a prejudice against pharmaceuticals. <laughs> God bless them. <laughs> in, one, yeah. in one way, uh, I, I I think that it might have been good good in one sense. So we 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 forego everything, even like uh, head, aspirin headache. We just write it out. Right. De de manzanilla. You know, That's chamomile it. tea, double, the double bags. Yeah. And the so, one exception being like Vicks Vaporub, but you know, that <laughs> works for everything. Ubiquitous. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, but I, but I did go to, um, you know, I did try to uh, work with cognitive behavioral therapy, things like that. It helped to a certain amount. And the biggest thing, too, is, of course, my, my reversion to my faith in my mid-20s, um, coming to the sacraments, understanding a, a lot of that, living the virtues, living chastity. Um but the, that that depression was still there, and I, I think fasting came in to 
just break the bonds because that's what God promises. Look at Isaiah. You know, the book of Isaiah clearly is a beautiful passage. I believe it's Isaiah 50 or 54 where it's the passage says, you know, fasting will come in and just break the bonds and just overflow your garden you know just just it's it's something so incredible and miraculous and that's what i feel happened to me because it happened six months deacon into it i mean i I began to feel better just weeks into it but where i really felt like something's different really really different yeah and it hasn't changed so people ask the ground sort of shifting at that point it hasn't changed i I thought this will probably be short-lived something i don't know my my brain is high on something with the fasting and that was uh, summer of 2018. Here we are, almost four years later. I'm st- I still get stressed out. I of still course. have sense, you know, yeah. my moments and things, but nothing like what would drag me down before. Not at all. It's sort of an extension, though, of the way that a true faith operates in general, right? There's many people who are not people of faith who believe that faith is a kind of a bomb or a salve against bad things happening. It's not. Mm-hmm. But what it is, is oh, it, one of its attributes or its byproducts, it's not the essence of it, but one of the things that it does, having a faith life, is it allows you to contend with the things that life throws at you, right? It's not this like sort of miracle pill and people who believe that there's people who believe that who you know claim to have a faith life but mm-hmm. certainly people looking outside in go oh well you guys think that's just like you know that solves all problems like no we still mm-hmm. take the slings and arrows <laughs> but when you're equipped right yes. when you've got the armor of god which definitely includes fasting when these slings and arrows come it's a significantly different uh, experience that that allows you to contend with things. And you see that in the lives of the great saints, too, where it's like they had to put up with stuff and experience stuff you can't even begin to imagine. And like, how would they do that? How can they how can they how can they do that? And it's because they have these great spiritual tools that God has given us Absolutely. that all we have to do is just pick up. Absolutely. From the time Moses, Daniel. Esther. I mean, you look at the Old Testament, the psalmist, you look at the Acts of the Apostles, the Gospel. Fasting is everywhere. everywhere. Deacon, how do we have blinders and miss all that? Okay, well, let's talk about that then. What What is it that makes fasting a less known? I mean, we kind of can understand some of its less desirability if we're thinking, oh, it's going to hurt, I'm going to whatever, all the things we've already talked about. What is it that doesn't give it that sort of visibility, that prominence? Is it a is it, are we not preaching enough about it? Are we not talking about it? Is it? Like, what are the things that you think keep, you know, not only the average person, but the average Christian from really understanding the power that's here? The only thing I can think of is the influence of the world. Fasting comes and goes directly against the world. The appetites of the flesh, the humility that, that uh, fasting brings, that we don't need you know, what did, what, did, what did our Lord say in the desert? Man does not live by bread, bread alone. alone. And bread could be also all the attachments and the gadgets and the everything. All you need is God. So here is something that goes completely against the world. Mm. So I think to the extent that, the, that we continue to uh, let the world influence us, we forget the things of God. We're almost afraid of the things of God, the promises of God, that God should be primary in our life and, and the way he wants us to live. Um, What's incredible about fasting, I want to mention this too, is that it, people can maybe hear us and think that maybe there's, it lends itself to some uh, scrupulosity or, or not scrupulosity, but that it can be something legalistic too. I have to fast. In fact, you know, one of the parables, it's the tax, the, the two uh, 
the two men in the in the in the in the church where oh, you, yeah. you have you had the publican in the front I'm sorry, the publican in the back saying I don't deserve to, to even be enter. Here. And then you have the the the, the mind, Pharisee in yeah, the front. The, the yeah. front saying, I fast two days and Thank God you know? I'm not like that guy <laughs> who's God. a total loser back there. Yeah. Right. And so it's not an admonition that we shouldn't fast. I think it's something that we should be doing, but with humility. So I think it is something that we should be doing. What I found, which was really cool, and it's God's grace. And I, and again, all of this is God's grace, nothing that my doing, nothing is my idea. I think any this can be anyone's. Um so I, so I fast 36 days. Sometimes, I, I'm sure it happens to you all the time, Deacon. It could yeah. happen to you today. That you have a friend coming in from out of town. Oh, sure. Saying, hey. Let's I'm get at, some lunch. I've got, yeah. I, you know what? I got this layover and let's get some lunch. Okay. It could lend itself to be like, I would love to, but I've gone fasting. I would love to see you, my brother. I'm so happy you're here. Let's go to lunch. I do that often not maybe maybe that probably happens to me a couple times a year and i have no qualms about it i have all the peace in the world it fasting does not get in the way of your charity it doesn't get in the way of your being loving um i will break my fast i prefer to fast i love how i feel when i'm fasting but that's that's but a beautiful beautiful yeah, statement though, i Astrid. love it yeah. let's get together you're here i want to see you my brother and i'm going to go and i'm going to eat and i'm going to enjoy every bite of that food it might be the only meal i have and it's still a benedictine fast as i look at it so i still can offer it to the lord but it never gets in my way well i think it's super in- it's super healthy too way and, and very christian approach which is that you're looking at the value of something and you're you're making a decision based on the the sort of higher value of the higher good, right? Which in that sense is accompaniment, community, it's brotherhood, sisterhood, et cetera, fellowship, mm-hmm. however you want to define it. My answer to some of those things, because I ask stuff like this all the time, especially for people who are not Christian or not Catholic. It's like, well, you know, is it okay if you do whatever? And my answer, which is just my own little quirk, but I say I'm only religious about religion. You know what I mean? <laughs> but but the but the idea there is that we don't want to be legalistic. And in fact, you know, I don't know if you know this or if I've told you, but my brother um is he's he did this whole deliverance uh um curricula at Mundelein University in Chicago and is now effectively trained as an exorcist. He's not the exorcist of the diocese, but he is trained as an exorcist would be and with the bishop's permission can perform an exorcism, right? The 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 the, the solemn rite of exorcism. And one of the things that he's impressed upon me, which I guess I kind of knew, but it, it's, it's become a lot more clear now, is you want to look at legalism. You know who's legalistic? The demons are legalistic. I mean, they're like, uh, it's like a suite of lawyers. I mean, they know every nook and cranny and they operate within the bounds of these legalistic rules. And so it's a really good kind of, uh, you know, measuring stick or guideline that if we feel ourselves going into that realm of legalism, into that realm of scrupulosity to kind of take a pause and, and, and really discern, right? Discern the spirits, as St. Paul said, because generally speaking, if you were to have said to that friend, you know what, I'd love to, I know I haven't seen you in four years, but I'm fasting. So maybe next time, mm-hmm. like what have you properly discerned the spirits there? Mm-hmm. And, and, and my guess would be in most cases, no, right? Because you're sort of, uh, you're maybe attributing more, more value to, to the idea of foregoing a meal than actually meeting a friend. But mm-hmm. anyway, that, that's yeah, just... but with family though, they know I fast. So of course, hey, of course. come over to eat. Oh, you're fasting. Yeah, I'm fasting today. Okay. Maybe tomorrow mm-hmm. I'll see you Sunday. So yeah. So it shouldn't become an excuse to like find an excuse to break your fast all the time. If, if God is calling you to do full day fasting, um, to, for an intention, um, because our mind does try to trick us to eat. Now, 
I, I still do in a sense, because people say, well, you're supposed to be, it's supposed to be penitential. You're supposed to be suffering in a sense. What I find that I suffer when I'm fasting is um, giving up the pleasure of mm, eating. Exactly. I'm not hungry. Exactly. My body has, is trained to eat the fat. That's what I'm, I'm not starving. But it's pleasurable but to eat. But it's pleasurable. Of course, somebody mentioned something and like, hmm, that sounds, maybe I, I could, you know, okay, that's a trick, you know? So it's, so it's one of those things we had, we had to be so uh, discerning and, and careful, but it really is, that's what I'm giving up. The same way I like to make this um, comparison, chastity. People talk about chastity, you know, purity. Okay, this is something so difficult. So you're 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 suppressing, you're oppressing your natural desires. You must live with so much anxiety. And when you imagine chastity, you don't live it, and you imagine it, you think, oh my goodness, how what, how oppressive, what a, what a terrible life. When you imagine virtue, when you imagine chastity, but when you live it, there's an incredible peace and a mm. freedom. It's the mm. opposite, you know, when you live it. So imagining fasting and like not eating all day like that's terrible what a terrible life but when you live it people who are not used to fasting and listen to us must think these people are just out of their minds but when you actually do it now you and i you know have this practice uh, this discipline so then we are speaking the same language you understand what i'm talking about when you're speaking i'm like i'm understanding you and then likewise so that's why i think it's important to um trust that what God is recommending in the Gospels, the virtues, every single one is for your happiness, eternal happiness, but also happiness and freedom here on earth. Amen. Yeah, well, I'm glad you can recognize it because I, I look at you and I'm like, well, she's a black belt. I'm maybe a purple belt, but I'm I'm getting up there in terms of my my uh, my fasting ability. The other thing that's interesting, too, is that, um, you know, there is this, uh, you know, very Christian, very Catholic concept of of foregoing of suffering of you know sacrificing right um because through that suffering that inconvenience that pain to put it that way we can help that can be uh, transformative and regenerative for ourselves and for others right so especially when we offer up that that sort of pain or discomfort for somebody else so on one side that's true and there is an aspect of fasting that is that but we also know from saint peter saint peter says you know make your lives a spiritual offering to god there's this sense of also that there is an offering to fast which is it may or may not be painful but it's your gift that you're giving to god right so in a way fasting kind of contains both of those elements of a little bit of you know a pain foregoing the pleasure to use your point there's like a there's that aspect of it but there's also this aspect that corresponds to our priesthood right which is all of us baptized people are part of the royal priesthood of believers and what do priests do they offer something they offer something and so fasting can also be itself an offering to god mm-hmm. it's exi- existed since humanity has existed you know, as a necessity, because food wasn't was not always available. God designed this this way, but what the what our Christian tradition has done is sanctify it. It's what it's done. So now it it's powerful. So now that we're fighting abortion, all the evils in the world, fighting for our own salvation and the salvation of our family and friends, and this becomes something so powerful um, in terms of us, uh, you know, interceding for them, um, living our Christian life. That's why I think it's just one of those things where if you're hearing this podcast and you haven't tried it, like, well, let's, let's, yeah. let's talk about that then so on a practical level. And, you know, maybe it's your kind of elevator speech on fasting, but mm-hmm. let's say that somebody who's listening to the show has never 
attempted this or maybe they have but it's been you know a long time ago or whatever it was but let's say you want to give people the kind of way to approach the fast would you get like what are the things you would say to prepare someone to begin to fast what are the best practices of fasting to your mind if you're gonna somebody's never done it like what would you recommend because jay richard's book does break down i would say like when you start do it this way and then eventually you'll do it this way and then eventually you'll do it this way so there's like a process and that may just be his perspective but i don't know what's yours if you really feel this total block towards fasting and which i had that block Get the book Eat Fast Feast by Jay Richards. But I also want to say this, Deacon. Read the Bible. (laughs) Yes, read the Bible. Read the Bible. You're going to be like, that's just the way what we're supposed to be doing. Here's what I had to say about fasting. It is so simple. Mm. It's what I love about it. Dr. Dr. Jason Fung, who is one of the best like um, experts. He's a nephrologist in Canada. He's one of the experts on fasting. So I think he's Catholic too. Dr. Jason Fung, look him up. I think it's dietdoctor.com. He helps to heal diabetics from with fasting. It's incredible. Um, he says, what's really cool about fasting, it's different from other things, other practices, religious or health practices. It's not doing something. I have to go out and buy this. I have right. to go take this. It's not doing something. <laughs> it's yeah. one less thing it's for you to do. Yeah. It is easy. So we can yeah. complicate it, if you will, or uh, not so much to complicate it, but discover all the different you know, aspects of fasting. Or we can just say uh, fasting means not eating some people like to do bread and water. I've never tried that. I don't do well by eating a little something. Um, some of my friends, when they try fasting, they've done this where they say, I'm going to eat a little something in the morning and then I won't eat. I said, oh, big mistake. Mm. That's a big mistake. You know why? Because when you eat a little something, like sure. a little fruit. You wake the body up. You like, wake oh. the insulin. You stimulate the, the insulin, which is what you're, so you're, you're pretty much turn on the engine when it was sleeping. And now you're going to be hungry the whole day and you're going to think you can't fast. So just trust that you can fast. Trust that you were made for fasting. Any discomfort comes from your body being accustomed to things that maybe it shouldn't be accustomed to, constant stimulation with food or sugar or bad bad food, um, and just be patient. So get up, have a little bit of black coffee if you want. Um, I would even say if you're really like scared, add a little bit of MCT oil or something to your coffee. That's fine. Whatever to start to, so you can get used to um, not eating the whole day. That pink Himalayan salt though. People have told me that has helped so much because you need electrolytes. Of course. That's why your body's a little uncomfortable because maybe you're, you're missing those those sodium and potassium. And, and marathon runners actually have sodium tablets when the, like they're on mile 14. They, they, they take yeah. yeah, they take a little sodium tablet and it helps them yeah. get to the finish line. What I find with the uh, pink Himalayan salt, it, it, they, they sell it like in little, little rocks. You know, you take a couple of little tiny little ones and put them under your tongue. It almost tricks your body also to think you ate. <laughs> so there's no calories in it. It's just salt. It's just, it's going to be the sodium. It's going to help you feel stable. You don't feel like your energy's up and down. So a little bit of coffee, a little bit of that, and you're done. Drink mm. water throughout the day, maybe a little bit of seltzer water, plain seltzer water if you want later on. A little bit of herbal tea is fine too, a little bit of chamomile tea or something like that, just water. But pretty much I feel like especially in those early days when I was first starting to fast, when I had a busy day, that was the best fasting day. When I had things to do. Because it would just fl- come by in a flash. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I felt like I, I felt strong. I felt like I had a shield. Because you know the work that I do, I'm, I'm helping people. It. I'm running to, the, to help somebody, take them to the doctor. In the pro-life movement, you know, we're helping pregnant women and doing all kinds of things. And I'm with my staff answering phones. 
I felt just this incredible strength and peace and focus and I could think more clearly how to solve these problems. So if you have a, a nice to-do list, that's the best, <laughs> I would say. But more important than anything is start your day with prayer as you should always start it. Go to Mass, pray your rosary. Um, if you could find some time during the day to do a little bit more spiritual reading and definitely offer your fast. Offer your fast. Um, don't don't squander it, you know. Um, don't let it go to waste. Don't let it go to waste. Uh, um, find a, an intention. And how many of us, I mean, we, if, if, I ask, if I ask somebody, what intention do you have right now? To, you, could ask, you can think right away. Somebody in your family, somebody who's fallen away, somebody's fighting an addiction, somebody's ill. Some, there's something in the world happening. You know, we, we need to pray. So we, we can offer this. And it's so powerful. I think only in heaven... May we all arrive in heaven? Um, will we know all, just how powerful just how it was? Powerful it was. Yeah, Jess, my wife, who um, you know started off with a similar experience that you know it was maybe a little bit harder in the beginning, but now looks forward to her fasting days in a way where it's like Christmas or something. Like it's like I can't wait to fast. And part of the reason why is because it's an opportunity to provide that offering, that intention for that other person. And she recognizes how powerful it is. So it's become a real, uh, you know, we love to look forward to things, put it that way. And it's become one of those things for her where it's like, I'm looking forward to, in her case, it's I think Wednesdays and Fridays, but like, you know, she's looking forward to that. Do you look forward to it too? It's just a natural part of my life. Now it's just who you are. But I do like to, and again, I know we're constantly being told and we're hearing, don't boast about it. We shouldn't boast about it. of course. About fasting, but we do um, always attribute it to God. So I have no problem attributing things to God. My fasting is a grace that he gave me. Um, It's a constant gift that I get from him. So I, if somebody shares a problem, uh, I will say, you know, tomorrow I fast. I'm going to include you in my fast. Mm-hmm. There's a comfort in that and the hope that comes with, with that promise. Like, I'm going to fast for you. I'm going to pray and fast. And I know that, that my prayer will be that much more powerful. And the person feels like, oh, somebody's praying and fasting for me. Maybe them hearing that, they might be inspired to fast as well. And that's happened where people ask me, could you tell me more about fasting? How does that work and it's come to the point where i feel so much um i'm so grateful for it and i believe so much in it and because it's the, the promise of god i share posts um where i share different aspects of, of fasting with people and and share these beautiful resources like this this um, eat fast feast book um the, the other book to love fasting by the monk uh adelbert de Bouguet. i think it's available um as a PDF or online, you could find it. It's tremendous. We'll include it in the show notes too yes. for this episode. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, and and it's funny reading this 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 book. And I read it when I was already pretty far into the fasting. And I'm reading his initial experience with fasting because his community had abandoned it pretty much. And I'm reading and I'm thinking, oh my goodness. And he wrote it in the 80s. And I'm thinking, that's exactly how mm. I feel. That strength, that joy, that you know, that closeness to God that he's experiencing, I also feel it. So um, I would say that the, the fasting just overflows. Everything about fasting is just about God's goodness more than anything. Um, and it just kind of overflows through my week. It's, it's something that I love clearly talking about and helping others to dis- discover it. And it's one of those things where I think that as reverts to the faith, where I feel like I walked like a 
donkey with a blindfold, <laughs> not knowing what the Euchar- who the Eucharist was for Absolutely. so many me years. Too. For about 30 years. Uh, for yes, me. 23 years for me, even though I went to 13 years of Catholic school, I still Crazy. thought it was a symbol. I know. Um, and then to discover that it's God. You can be that close to God. He wants to be that close to you. That's going to change your life. That's how I feel. Like I've discovered something that was always there. It's the pearl of great price. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And look at all that it's unlocked. And I literally feel like I have my life in a sense. I'm beginning to live. And I, and I remember a friend asking, um, because I have had friends, my close friends who've also begun to fast mm-hmm. and they've also experienced this transformation. Um, and I, some people say, you know, when they when they f- feel better, like health wise, they say, I feel like I do when I was in high school or when I was in college. And I think I didn't feel good when I was in high school. <laughs> I feel like a child. Mm. I feel very childlike. That's mm. how. That's, and then, so I have to rein it in sometimes because <laughs> the exuberance, as you said, that was the perfect word because I do feel like I feel like I never did before. I feel very um, free to be free to be free to love. Um, and it's and it's already been so many years and and I, again it's God's gift and of course but I it's want, a gift that is available to everyone exactly and you're just going to become yourself I think you're going to become yourself um, we are constantly being shot at by so many arrows in the world um, so being aware of that we have to then just really step it up do I want to be a saint like do I want to help save souls like God is calling me so how do I do this. Let me look at the gospel. Let me start from the beginning. And then you find that. You can't just skip over that. What David did, what Esther did, what Daniel did, Moses did. Jesus Jesus Christ. Exactly. Yeah, of course. In preparation for his ministry, he fasted 40 days. He's giving us the primary example there. So um, we can't just overlook that and think that doesn't apply to us. Like, absolutely. That was back then when they didn't have refrigerators. (laughs) No, definitely not the case. You know, you just gave me an idea, too. I have to preach on Sunday, and the gospel on Sunday is the prodigal son. And one thing I hadn't thought about literally until we just had this conversation is that there's a moment in that parable, I don't know if you remember, where the the son is, he's gone off and to squander his fortune and everything else, and he's living a life of total dissipation. And then... Scripture says that he became hungry, right? And he was uh, basically wishing that the scraps from the pigs could be thrown to him or whatever. But in a way, during that time, right before he had his realization of returning to his father, whether it was planned or not, he was fasting because he wasn't eating, right? It's really, really interesting. So I wonder what contribution that fast made to this realization that, oh, I have my father that I can return to. So you just unlocked that one for me. I'll see if I can work it into my homily. God is so good. I mean, God is so good. I mean, even when we're not even trying, like I wasn't expecting all these deacon. I didn't ask, please heal me of my depression. You know, please make me someone who is kind and patient with others, not so short and so impatient. I didn't expect Mm. this. I was just making this offering for the unborn and, and which I, I live my life for that mission, you know, and I, I didn't expect all this goodness from God that he was doing what I didn't even realize it because he's a good father. He's our of good course. father. And he doesn't allow anything unless it was something that was for our good, including this man, you know, the prodigal son starving these days, thinking that that's the worst thing that could happen to him. And God was even in that was acting, preparing him, humbling. Because look at the person that arrives at the father's house, so humble, so open. You know, God was doing something in, in his heart to prepare him. It's amazing. Um, yeah, so 
I mean, clearly you've inspired me and, you know, by extension, I hope everybody who's listened to this show of really making, you know, realizing the powerful tool that is available to them and the kind of gifts. And of course, you know, for every person, their experience is going to be different. But nevertheless, like prayer, fasting is a way that we can advance in our spiritual life and, you know, increase our proximity to God and partake more readily of the joy and peace and 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 comfort that God wants to give all of us. That's ultimately what it is. And and it's such a such a great privilege to talk to you about this and to learn about your experience. Um and to encourage other people to do the same, especially in the season of Lent, when the entire church says, you know, fast and prayer and almsgiving. And yes, it's a 24-7 call, but it's more pronounced in this penitential season. And we, in this moment, I think, need to heed, you know, the words of your wisdom and counsel. And obviously, you're just an expression or reflection of what God has been telling us for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. So Amen. thank you for <laughs> sharing that exuberance with us, Astrid. Absolutely. I just want to say out of prudence, I want to say that um, fasting is a gift, and but I would caution, and I'm not a physician, so I'm going to refer you to Dr. Jason, Jason Fung. I would say go to his web uh, YouTube channel and look at his videos. But um, anyone who, a woman who is pregnant, uh, breastfeeding, a child, uh, elderly with medication, I would just be very cautious. Um, or somebody who's underweight, this might not be for them is what I understand. So, you know, there, there can be other things you can sacrifice. But I think the vast majority of people uh, who are listening can do it. I would say don't be afraid. Um, God is good. Uh, and and please avail yourself of these resources, these books, especially um, Eat Fast Feasts will unlock all of these it things in the spiritual me. and um, also the physical aspects and the how-tos as well. There's it's no question. Absolutely worth it. Before we close, Astrid, how can people follow you, follow your work, uh, know what you're up to just in general, even if it doesn't include fasting? <laughs> you're going to probably find fasting everywhere that I am. But uh, yes, I for my, my pro-life work, I do things with the church. I have a show on EWTN Spanish. I do different things. Um, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram under Astrid Bennett Gutierrez. Um, I'm on Telegram as well. And uh, yeah, that's where you can find me. You can send me a message. I'm happy to answer any questions regarding fasting or the pro-life movement in awesome. particular. And I hope people do avail, avail themselves of that and, and you know get involved and follow your ministry because you've been such a, such a great inspiration to me, to my family, and such a great uh, beacon of, of, of hope, you know, really what it is, because we see all the great work that you're doing and leading in so many different ways. And I just think it's, it's, a, it's a really beautiful um, you know, reflection of God's plan in the world, and you're, you're embodying that uh, every day. So I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you, and you're welcome back anytime, and continued prosperity and blessings on everything that you do, Astrid. Thank you, Deacon, for all that you do and, and for being an inspiration for me and a guidance all these years. I'm so happy that you're blessed uh, by, by fasting, that you're promoting this beautiful virtue and practice as well. And uh, God bless everyone listening to this podcast. Amen. You heard that here. So be, beyond fasting, make sure that you share this episode. If you're listening to Astrid and I talk, share this episode with everybody. Share this episode with a friend. Share you know with somebody who you think could actually benefit from the things that we've been discussing, because there's a lot to be gained here. And we thank you for listening. We'll see you again next time on Living the Call. If you enjoyed this episode of Living the Call, please remember to subscribe and give us a five-star review. Tell someone you love about the show and spread the word. Living the Call is available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You can learn more about the organization behind the show 
by searching for the Catholic Association of Latino Leaders on any social platform or by going directly to call-usa.org. That's C-A-L-L-U-S-A.org. Living the Call is produced by Manu Kasten and Diego Carranza and our friends at Juan Diego Networks. God bless you and thank you for listening.